Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Abraham Lincoln's cabinet has been described as a team of rivals, but Lincoln humbly won them over and with them prevailed in the Civil War. Dr. Brian Chappell, stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church in America, brings us this sermon entitled The Far Reach of the Gospel, which covers Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 12. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. As I thank your pastor for being such a consistent encouragement to Kathy and to me as we have come to Atlanta, I want to thank you too as a church for receiving us so beautifully and well, uh, having not been a pastor for the first time in lots of years in my life, but rather looking over an entire denomination. It's beautiful to be part of a church family that receives us well. So we thank you for that. You're a church that turns to the Word, so I'll ask that you do that. If you'll look with me at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, as we consider the first 12 verses, and uh, I try to consider before you some of the things Jeff and I were just talking about. Maybe a way to think about it is this. Think, Think how the apostles must have cheered. The one that they have seen crucified is now risen and appears to them and says, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. I mean, like, like stones in the sling of David, the apostles, this little ragtag band of fishermen and tax collectors are going to be the witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of, they must have cheered. And then somebody must have said, now how are we gonna do that? Like this, Acts 13, verse one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist 
and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Astonished. I wonder if we can still be astonished. Do you know that this day, this, this very day, in China, there will be more people worshiping Jesus than in the United States? Much smaller proportion of the population, but such a large population. I'll say it again. There will be more people worshiping Jesus today in China than in the United States. Beginning of the last century, only a small fraction of people named the name of Jesus in Africa. But this day, over half the continent of Africa identifies as Christian. That is over 500 million people, more than all the people in the United States, worshiping Jesus in Africa now. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran, persecuted, underground, flourishing. If, if you are a young person, 15 years of age or thereabout, in your 15 years alone, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus Christ than in the last 15 centuries. Amazing things are happening. The largest churches in London are African and Caribbean in origin. The largest churches in Texas, which likes to talk about being big. The largest churches in Texas are Hispanic. The largest church in the PCA, this denomination, is Korean in heritage. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this day, there will be 50,000 50, new Christian baptisms across the world. And you don't have to wait till next week for the next 50,000, only until tomorrow. And the next day and the next day, another 50,000 each day across this world of Christian baptisms. I tell you those things, not just to wow you, but to bring to mind the words of Francis Chan, the author and evangelist, who reminds us simply, we do no greater damage to the gospel than when we look at the work of the Spirit in the New Testament and say, that is just ancient hyperbole. The Holy Spirit is alive and well, and he is working in our world. Our goal in this nation is not to let our experience say that's what's happening across the world and across all time. We will not give in to cynicism that says God cannot work in our time. Give in to some sort of sophistication that says the Bible does not apply to our time. Listen, the Spirit works differently in different ages and different times and different nations, but God is at work. And when we recognize that, our goal as the people of God, as it always is, is to say, where is the Spirit working and how do we get in step with the work of the Spirit? We lift our sails to the wind of the Spirit and say, blow, Spirit, blow. Take us where you want us to go, for we would serve you. 
How does that work? How do we actually become a part of the great working of the Spirit in our age as the Spirit worked in the ancient times in the early church? We recognize that how the Spirit worked then and now is using people who commit to unity in the mission of the Spirit. Listen, maybe you think that was easier long ago. I mean, after all, the Spirit was blowing really hard after the ascension of Jesus Christ. You remember the day of Pentecost, 3,000 coming to the Lord in one day as the Spirit blew. But that wasn't the end of it. Remember, even after that day of Pentecost, there were those coming to the church daily in salvation, such as were being called by the Lord Jesus. And, and so much was the Spirit at work that even the Jewish priests began to believe. And that's when the Jewish authorities had enough of that. And so they began to send persecutors under the authority of one named Saul to crush the new church. And maybe they thought they succeeded because they drove so many Christians out of Jerusalem. They, they crushed worship. But those Christians who left Jerusalem became like seeds in the wind across the ancient world. Some of those seeds landing on that, that ancient land bridge between Asia and the Middle East and Europe that we call Asia Minor. And it was there that we learned at Antioch they were first called Christians. And they began to send out missionaries from the very beginning. What does it mean to commit to unity in the mission of the Spirit? We know as we begin to look at verse 1, which is nothing less than a roster of the leaders in the first church at Antioch, where they were called Christians and sent out missionaries. What does it look like to be committed to unity in the Spirit's mission? There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Solomon. We just read the names. You need to slow down and read the names. Barnabas. Now, that's a Jewish name. And maybe if you've been around the church a little while, you know it's a name that means son of consolation or even son of encouragement. And we say, oh, isn't that sweet? He was an encourager. And if you're in the South, we say, bless his heart. <laughs> it's so much better than that. His home, though he had a Jewish name, was Cyprus which is Greek and a Greek culture, which means he was a Jew raised in Greek culture. And now he goes with Paul on the first missionary journey in the history of the church. And where is Paul going? He is a missionary to the, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. And where is the very first place that they go? Bottom of verse four. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit and they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus, the home of this very same encourager who has been trained all his life in Greek culture as a Jew, and now he accompanies Paul to the Greek culture. Pretty smart God to arrange that as this encourager is going. Now, the story can get a little ugly after that. We have to know that. Because after all, you begin to read at the end of verse 5 that they took John to assist them. 
Depending on your translation, you'll learn that this John is John Mark, either a cousin or a nephew of Barnabas. And so when they go to Cyprus, John Mark hears, we're going to Cyprus? I went to, with, with some of the people there to high school. They'll remember me. And so John Mark flees. He does not accompany them. On the very next missionary journey, Barnabas says to Paul, let's take John Mark again. He'll do better. Paul says, no way. And there's a falling out between Barnabas and Paul that lasts for years. The beautiful thing is that's not the end of the story. This is John Mark. Do you recognize every time you open your Bible to the New Testament and you begin to look at the Gospels, they are there. You can do it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark. The writer of the second gospel of Jesus Christ is the coward of Cyprus. As what God is saying to his people, even by the presence of the gospel of Mark, is I can redeem and I can restore and I can ready for new service. Your sins can be forgiven. Your shame can be put aside. I can still use you and claim you. You are mine and it is a message of the gospel. And when Paul understood again, he was healed with Barnabas as the gospel began to do its work of uniting the people of God in the mission of God. And that unity in the mission becomes even more plain as you see the other names of the leaders in the roster of the church at Antioch. After Barnabas, Simeon or Simon who was called Niger. Some of your Bibles just say Simon the Black. Because Niger means black, like Nigeria, as we identify today. We still use that terminology. But it's strange because it's a, a Jewish name, but he has black skin. And Jews would not have black skin. If you had black skin, it would indicate that somewhere in the past, your, your parents, grandparents had intermarried. And so for an Orthodox Jew, you would be unclean. But in the church... There is Simon the black. It gets better than that. How could a Jew have black skin? Because centuries before, under King Asa of Israel, who was trying to extend the kingdom of Israel, he actually established a colony in North Africa of Jews. You know what we call that area? Cyrene. This is Simon of Cyrene. Does that ring a bell at all? Because there was a time when Jesus, having been scourged, spat upon, flogged, is fainting from loss of blood as he is carrying his cross to Golgotha. And when he falls down and cannot carry the cross, a Roman soldier grabs a man out of the crowd and says, you carry the cross. And the man who carried the cross of Jesus to Golgotha was named Simon of Cyrene. And here he is, the man who not only watched Jesus crucified, he carried the cross of torture and death. And now, where all the people of the church should hate and despise him, what do you see? Redeemed, restored, 
ready for the work of the gospel, a leader in the church at Antioch, ready to send the mission forward in the work of the Holy Spirit. If you think that's hard, keep reading. Also, Lucius of Cyrene. First time we get a Roman name. But now you know where Cyrene is. He's also from Africa. And it's a message not only of an oppressor, the Roman Empire, being received into the church, but the second African. And almost giving you goosebumps is this reality that our Lord, who is designing his church to one day gather around the throne of the Lamb from every tribe and language and people and nation in the very first church that would ever send out missionaries has a core of African leaders who are preparing the church for the nations. And that, that core of African leaders is doing what God intended from the very beginning, preparing the people of God to work beyond our, our bigotries and our boundaries to say, God will reign. Jesus Christ is for all, and the church is to be demonstrating that in everything it does, and from the very beginning it was so. Listen, we, we need this message. We're, Jeff said it, we, we are tor torn up in our age by the polarities of this culture. And so we're, we're almost scared even in the church to talk about what God would do among all peoples by the work of the gospel. And so we're, we're so scared of secular race theory or being accused of being woke that we are letting political discussion define our mission and even deny it at times. Listen, this is the triumph of Jesus Christ. We live to see the Spirit move among the nations and move among us so that all the things that would separate us are overcome by the work of the Spirit and the world says, what in the world is happening in that place? Do you recognize that this same Paul, when he would write in Ephesians chapter three, would say, because of what happens in the church, the manifold wisdom of God is on display in the spiritual realms. That word manifold is the word that the Greek translators used to translate Joseph's multicolored coat. In the church, the multicolored wisdom of God is on display so even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms look at the church and say, my what a God. If he can get those people together, this gospel must be something. It is. It is. Do you want to see it work? Read the next name. Also in the leadership is Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch. In leadership in the church, a lifelong friend of Herod. Some of your Translations will say a member of the court. Some will even say a stepbrother. Listen, if you know anything about human relations, you understand the friend of my enemy is my enemy. And this is a friend for a lifetime of Herod. Which Herod? You know, you can't be in the church very long until the Herods just get confusing. <laughs> Which Herod is this? It was actually his father to whom the wise men went. 
Remember, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And what did the father say? Well, why don't don't you go find him so I can come and worship him? But an angel in a dream warned the wise men what Herod really wanted to do. And so they went and escaped another direction, and Jesus, Mary, and Joseph went to Egypt. But Herod, trying to stop the new Messiah, killed all the babes of Bethlehem to try to stop this Messiah from coming. That was the father. This Herod, the son, has blood on his hands too. Because he came under the preaching of John the Baptist, who began to chastise this Herod for an incestuous marriage. And as a consequence, Herod had him imprisoned. And one night, you know the story, when Herod's stepdaughter danced erotically before him, that in some core of craziness, this Herod said, what do you want? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. What did she want? The head of John the Baptist. And he gave it to her. He also killed James, the brother of John. But more than that, it was this Herod who turned Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. And now his lifelong friend, even his stepbrother, is a leader in the church at Antioch. Now maybe you think that's sweet, but you must understand what that means. There had to be people in the church who would say, God, I can accept a Jew who is a coward. I can accept a Roman with African skin. I can even accept a Jew with an African jacket, but do not ask me to accept Manaean. I lost my family, I lost my home, I lost my livelihood, I live in this foreign nation because of what Herod has done. Herod slew my savior. And now as a consequence, we must worship in this remote place without any of the benefits of family and faith we once had. God, do not ask me to help him. Do not ask me to honor him. And if you think that's hard, Read the last name on the list. After Manaean and Saul. You know who that was, don't you? The one who held the cloaks as they stoned Stephen to stop the growth of the church. The one who by his own testimony later before both Roman and Jewish authorities would say he had imprisoned and tortured and killed men and women out of the Christian households. They live in this foreign place because of Saul, the organizer general of the persecution against the Christians. And now there he is, a leader on the roster of the church of Jesus Christ, redeemed, restored, and readied to be the first missionary to the Gentiles. Maybe you think that's wonderful, but you, you think of what would happen in you if you had been a Ukrainian and you had lost your town and your family had been killed and you had been driven from the country and you came here to the United States and you walk into the church and standing up on the stage as an elder of the church is a Russian general who organized it. Would you stay? 
Or would you turn on your heel and say, never? You could not stay unless there had been a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Not only sang to that one, redeemed, restored, readied now for the work of Jesus Christ, but your own heart had been changed. What God is doing again and again is he's working beyond our boundaries and our bigotries and our hatreds and our bitterness so that in the church of Jesus Christ, we show the world the gospel. And it is for that very reason that we see the apostle saying, what will happen if we're really gonna lift our sails to the wind so that this gospel is shown to the world? How do we do that? It's, it's not a mystery. Verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord, they're doing what? I don't even have a home anymore. I don't have a homeland. Much of my family's been killed and still I gather to worship the Lord. This is worse than COVID, folks. But I recognize that when the church gathers together, the gospel is on display to the world. We show by our very gathering that, that we are working past our boundaries and bitterness and bigotries in order to accomplish the work of Jesus Christ. It is not easy. I know that, you should know it. In the church where Kathy and I last were, I, I got a letter from a young woman who'd gone off to university writing back to the church. She wrote this, Dear Mr. Chapel, I've been compelled to write to you about something I feel very strongly about. I've moved away from home to attend my university. With this move, I've had to seek a new church. The church I've been attending makes a huge effort to reach out to the community. The worship consists of hymns, contemporary music, and gospel songs. Some even in different languages, all in the same service. She wrote, I felt motivated by the Holy Spirit to write to you. And inside I'm thinking, this will not go well. I felt motivated by the Holy Spirit to write to you about this because I felt with the amount of diversity at Grace Church, which is not a lot, if we started doing the same thing, whatever lines or walls stood between people who feel out of place or are not welcome, those lines would be erased. Even scripture is read not only in English but in another language. It would be a hard transition, I know. Well, you can say that again. But the worship leaders told me as difficult as it was, we stretched and grew, and in the end, everyone benefited. I know we already have incorporated ESL, English as a Second Language classes, for lots of different nations in our area, but I feel like our church can take an extra step into embracing the whole body of Christ. Now, if you're a leader in the church and you get a letter like that, you got a couple of choices of how you're gonna respond. One choice is to say, how dare she? We're doing the best we can, and we're different than we were 10 years ago, and we're making progress, we're working hard at it, and we have ESL. Or you can say, how blessed are we 
that a child of this church actually believes what we taught her. That the gospel is for every tribe and language and people and nation. And it bridges boundaries and bigotries and bitterness. And she believes it. Praise God that our own children believe the gospel. If that is what is happening, it is beautiful, but that does not make it easy. And maybe that's why we are told in the very same verse, verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then again in verse two, in verse three, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them off. How can we really be such a church? With all that our culture's going through, with all the personal things that we struggle with, how could we be such a church? Well, we pray. Well, I know we pray in the church. No, I mean pray. <laughs> After all, what is prayer at its very essence? It's saying, God, I need your help. I can't do this. This is not in my strength. This is not in my resolve. This is not in my ability. That's why I'm praying. I, I need your help. We need your help to be the church that we actually want to be. But it's not in us apart from your spirit. So we pray, God, help us, change us, transform, transform me. And maybe that's why the word fasting is there. I mean, you can pray corporately, but you fast alone. Now, you know, I was raised in a tradition that prayer was for ordinary Christians, but fasting is for special Christians, right? I mean, you really pay your dues when you fast, you know. And, and, and I was taught why you fast. You know, you fast so that you will focus on the Lord. My difficulty was whenever I fasted, I could only focus on McDonald's. You know, and I felt guilty and wrong for that. But, but what if fasting is the physical equivalent of the spiritual work of prayer? That our hunger is actually the evidence that we are doing without nutrition, that we are weak, that we are acknowledging when we are weak, he is strong. That my hunger is actually an act of worship to say to God, I'm not depending on my strength. I'm not depending on my abilities. I'm confessing I can't do this apart from you. So I'm actually acknowledging and making myself weak so that you will show yourself strong. God, work in this place. God, work in me because this will not come about without your work. What will come about? That we would continue to express the gospel with courage. Yeah, uh, first they went to Cyprus. So they actually do have to talk to the people that are in their families. Who do you most hate to talk to about the Savior? The ones who know you best, who remember the mistakes of your youth. They went and talked to their families. That takes courage. But then they spoke to enemies too. This strange account of this magician who has the name of Jesus, son of Jesus, and yet he's using it to warp the faith. And Paul, who recognized this man is with the governor, but he is warping and turning people away from faith in Jesus Christ, and so it is dangerous to Paul. He still addresses him. I'm not saying you should always say in your evangelism, you son of a devil. <laughs> might, might not be the best way always. But, but here is courage 
to deal with the hard things, even with an enemy. Do, do we have things that may be enemies of the faith in our culture? This is where our church struggles right now. We, we feel such loss in our culture of so many of the, the moral issues in the culture wars of our time. And, and recognizing the tensions that we feel in the church of how we shall address these things, though we all agree on Scripture, we all agree on our confession, we all agree on mission, but we disagree on the application of that. How shall we speak to one another and to a culture that is opposed to us when we face people who say that gender is fluid, that same-sex relationships are to be celebrated? that marriage is optional for sexual intimacy, that divorce is inevitable, that life begins and ends what is convenient, this, folks, will take courage from a people who has learned to love each other. What we tend to do is adopt the way of the culture in addressing our differences. And so, when people speak bad about us, we speak bad about them. Political animosity is justified because they're wrong and we're right. And they said it first. Paul says to those in the church, outdo one another in showing honor. Yes, speak to those who oppose you but do it with gentleness and respect so that the Holy Spirit will transform them. Oh my goodness, that's so hard. Yeah, only by the Holy Spirit, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We lift our sails and say, God, what are you asking for me? What, what, who do you want me to forgive? How do I speak with courage without animosity? How do I present the scripture against a culture? How do I actually present a confessional church? What God needs for me to say in the way that Christ wants me to say it. I'm not telling you it's easy, but I can tell you the results. Did you catch it? Verse 12, then the proconsul believed. When the church is demonstrating the nature of Christ and speaking the truth of Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to blow. And even a secular civil authority believed. Can that happen? Listen, uh, two years ago, I was asked to be the, the speaker at the Hong Kong Bible Conference before COVID shut it down. Quarter million people typically gather at the Hong Kong Bible Conference. And here's what I was written when it was shut down. Dr. Chapel, as you know, the COVID virus is widespreading across China. In Hong Kong, the public activities are suspended, schools closed, churches suspended. As the scheduled speaker for the Hong Kong Bible Conference, would you, invite, would you please write a short message to the saints here that we could be comforted and encouraged and inspired? I must tell you, I thought to myself, who am I to write you about courage? I don't face the things that you do in my culture, not the persecutions, not churches suspended. I do not face all the hurt that you, how could I write about you? 
All I knew was to write the words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Dear brothers and sisters, as I read of the challenges you now face in China, I write to tell you the eyes of the church are upon you. The eyes of the world are upon you. But most of all, the eyes of King Jesus are upon you. And then the words of the scripture by the Holy Spirit, we know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groanings too deep to utter according to the will of God so that all things shall work together for his good. These temporary afflictions are working for you a far more exceeding weight of glory. I and my church pray for you, knowing that you are chosen for such a time as this. And what do you know is a consequence of prayers of Christians across the world? I'll say it again. There are more Christians worshiping Jesus in China today than in the United States. God is at work. The Holy Spirit is blowing. We say, God, so use us in your efforts. Our difficulties are your doorways. The obstacles of the world, opportunities for the Holy Spirit, our crisis but a path to the cross that Jesus Christ would be glorified. God, show us the way. We lift our sails to you and we say, blow, Spirit, blow. We will worship, gather in devotion, and speak with courage that the Holy Spirit may show the world the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father God, by the work of the Holy Spirit for the testimony of Jesus Christ, Teach us your ways that the Spirit would blow through us and the world might know of the beauty and the goodness of the one who redeems and restores and readies for service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.